0: Please make your way back to your seats, and we'll get started with the second half of our gathering. As Pastor Brad was mentioning, uh, one of our big emphases over the past several months has been our trip to Guatemala, and that comes out of our heart for serving one another both locally and globally. It's one of our core values. We call it global service, both glocal Global and local service. And so our team from Guatemala, they departed last week, Sunday, and then they've been ministering to the needy in Guatemala over the past seven days, and today they are en route to Seattle. They're going to arrive late tonight in Seattle, and some of them are going to spend the night in the area, and some of them are going to drive through the night, so the team should be back. Completely on Monday, and uh, it's just been it's been a great week. I know some of you are Facebook friends with some of the individuals who have been on the trip, so you've heard about them taking kids from the orphanage out for lunch distributing wheelchairs the team distributed over 50 wheelchairs and it's just been a a great trip for them and I know they're excited and they're tired at the same time but a week from today on Easter Sunday we're going to be hearing a full report from the team so uh, make sure you're ready for that and if you aren't Facebook friends with some of those individuals you might want to take the risk of asking if you can be a Facebook friend with them so you can look at photos and get a little bit of an idea of what they've been up to. One of the reasons that we are emphasizing serving and doing that is because we take Jesus at his words when he says that greatness in his kingdom is not defined by how we would define it in the kingdom of our world, but how he defines it in his kingdom, which is that greatness is really measured by service. And we've been going through a series called Red Letters over the past couple of weeks with that premise of what if Jesus really meant what he said? Jesus said some Incredibly challenging things, sometimes things that sound like it's completely impossible to understand or to implement. And so we've been grappling with a number of different topics over the past couple of weeks. And this morning, uh, we have one of our good friends at Jericho Ridge who is with us today as a guest speaker, and her name is Steph Ratcliffe. Many of you know Steph, and you've had great friendship with her over the years. Steph's been part of our Jericho Ridge church family for a number of years, and then she served, uh, while she was here, she served in a number of key leadership Areas and and I know she's had a great impact on our church community. And then through her walk with Jesus and by listening to him and grappling with her gifts and her history and her call, she went to India. She worked with MB Mission and she served in India. And Jericho was uh, one of her supporters there financially and through prayer and another of other means. And her journey has brought her back to Canada and she is currently living in Vancouver now. So she's way, way, way out there on the other side of the bridge And all of us valley folk don't get to see her quite as often. But we're glad that she's here today. She's serving at our local church in Vancouver. And uh, she is working at a retirement home. And she has been preparing this message for a good amount of time. So, Steph, please come forward and share with us what God has been telling you and what your challenge is to us today.
1: I don't know who just said that, but thank you. (laughs) Well, it's really good to be here this morning with you guys. Um, Jericho Ridge means just so much to me. And as Keith said, I've uh, attended here for many years, for about five, I think. And um, I know so many of you, and many of you are new as well. So hello, and uh, thanks so much for inviting me here this morning. We're talking this morning about what Jesus says about poverty, and that is a pretty big topic. I know I've just been wrestling with it the last little while. Um, Brad brought it to my attention about probably three months ago and asked me to preach on this. And um, I thought, That's first of all, I'm not qualified. And, uh, and second of all, what do you, what do you say when, when you want to talk about what Jesus has about poverty in, in 35 minutes? Um, but what I wanted to do with you guys this morning is um, not talk about an ending point. Uh, there's many uh, places that we end up in life, and many places we go, and many ways that we give and we address the poverty in our world, and the need is huge. Um, but what we want to talk about this morning is a starting point for all of us because that is what we share in common. It's not our ending point. Uh, as Keith said, I end up going to India, and who knows where else I'll go in my 50 years left or so, um, and who knows where you'll go. We just have a, a team right now that's gone to Guatemala, so we go. Many places, and we stay many places as well. But um, I hope this morning, as we um, yeah, as we talk about that starting point, that this can really be something that um, is practical for you, and that really uh, touches your heart. Well, let's pray because we definitely need the Holy Spirit. Um, without Him, we are just a bunch of ridiculous people. So, including myself. Um, so let's just uh, let's just ask Him for His help this morning. Father, we just come to you as your children. We come to you um, as needy people, but we know you're going to fill us, Lord. We we believe that you will fill us this morning. That you will give us all that we need to hear from you. We thank you for your voice. We thank you that you're always speaking to us, and we thank you for your your word for Scripture that um, continuously challenges challenges us to um, to walk um, the way that Jesus did and to. Give our hearts to you. And so we just ask for the Holy Spirit this morning to, uh, to be amongst us and in us. I pray that my words would be directed by him, God, and that um, our ears would just be tuned to your voice, that we would receive from you this morning what you have to give us. We thank you that you always give good gifts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're talking about poverty, and I just wanted to quickly define poverty for us, because I, I'm sure as you heard that word, you immediately went to material poverty, which is um, obviously a real need in our world, for, for most of our world. Um, but we also want to address other kinds of poverty as well, and so just let your mind um, go further than just material poverty, and we don't, we want to be thinking about spiritual poverty, uh, about emotional poverty, mental poverty, relational poverty, all these places in ourselves that we can be poor in. Um, So just kind of let that uh, soak in as we we tackle scripture this morning. Well, I've been to India twice now in my life in the last few years. And the first time I went to India was for a six-week vision trip. And, oh, I should say before I start that I have no concept of time right now. And so where's Keith? Keith, just give me the... I, I have seriously no idea what time it is, just so you know. Okay, good. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, so I've been to, to India twice, and this is my from my first trip in India. My way out of Delhi one day on a train, and um, as you can see from the picture, um, this is a slum. This is where people live. And this was my first real experience with that shocking poverty, and I'd already been to India, been in India a couple of weeks, but it was this train trip out for some reason that really, really um, grabbed my heart as I watched these people. In this dump, I think the next photo shows a, a dump, and yeah, there it is. And you can see the pigs. Um, this picture doesn't show it, but there's there's children everywhere. Uh, most of them have like kind of half dressed kids. Um, there's cows. There's people. They're they're drinking water. They're bathing. Um, they're going for a poop. Like it's just like their life is just in this dump, and this is where they live. And I remember seeing this this scene. I was I was in a train and. Um, I was drinking this little cup of tea and some biscuits, and I was on the first cl- in the first-class car, and so uh, which is kind of like our not-great car here, um, but still, I had tea and biscuits, and I was watching this from the window, and I just couldn't believe my eyes, like these little kids um, playing with these pigs, and I never ate pork again in India after I saw this. It was just my stomach turned, this is poverty, this is the poorest of the poor, and when we think about poverty, I think we all kind of have these kinds of, these images of, um, of third world countries or developing countries, and, and it's real, and it's true. And this is actually a picture, I hope this can be a picture for you this morning, of the other kinds of poverty that I was talking about, um, because this is, uh, this is not just material kind of poverty that we live in in this world. Well, I also, on my trip, and especially my second time there when I moved there, I also got to meet some beautiful street children. And here they are. This is Shivani and Raju. And don't worry, this is not a missionary slideshow. I'm just. This is actually the last India picture you're going to see, so um, just breathe a sigh of relief there. Um, and these kids were just so amazing. I fell in love with them instantly. And um, they sold necklaces to, to buy food. Their mom made these necklaces, and they sold... One necklace for, I believe it was for 10 10 rupees, so 20 cents, which is actually kind of a rip-off. But they were uh, doing it with tourists, so tourists will pay that, right? Um, And these kids were just uneducated, they were stinky, they were dirty, Um, but they were just so precious to me. And um, yeah, I just fell in love with them, I have them on my wall at home still. Well, when you look at this picture, I want to ask you a question, and you don't have to answer it. Um, out loud um, or you can if you want interaction is always great um, when you look at this picture who is poor in this picture and I just told you about some of these kids needs so I think the, the answer is probably it's a trick question but um, anyone have any guesses who's poor in this picture no guesses okay Dan, thank you. Ten points for Dan. Um, okay, well, after we're going to kind of, we're going to dive into that a bit more, into Dan's very insightful answer. He said, he said, you are, which I don't appreciate at all. But, um, <laughs> but we're going to, we're going to talk about that later. Um, um, but, it, but just kind of be thinking about that. Now, you've seen this picture of this dump. You've seen these kids. You've seen my smiling face there. Um, who is poor in this picture? I don't know if you have your Bibles, but if you do, let's turn to Luke chapter eleven. We're looking at Luke eleven thirty-seven to forty-four this morning, and as we read this together, it's also going to be on the screen. If read this together. Um, you might think this is a really curious passage of Scripture to talk about um, and to address when we're talking about poverty, but um, I really think it's it's so pertinent to our, uh, our starting place this morning as we address poverty. So Luke eleven thirty seven to 44. And I'll just read it here. As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give to charity what is within, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others." Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. And so here we have Jesus. He's just given, um, prior to this, he's given a number of different um, sermons or, you know, he's had conversations with people. And one of the Pharisees hears this and says, oh, I'd like to have this guy over to my house for a meal. Uh, We're not sure of his motives. It could be just because he wants to hear more. It could be because he wants to trap Jesus, as they often tried. Whatever the case is, Jesus comes over to this Pharisee's house for a meal. And before they even start eating, the Pharisee has already found something wrong with what Jesus is doing. He's not doing the ritual hand-washing, which all good uh, Jews would do before every meal. um, Not just to make them clean from germs, from interacting with other people and the germs of the day. Um, but actually, it was a spiritual act. it was a spiritual cleansing. They believed that when they did this ritual hand washing they would um, they would be spiritually clean before they ate their meal and so he addresses this with Jesus and Jesus interestingly enough, as we come to expect from the gospels though he um, he doesn 't actually address the issue of hand washing instead he just goes for the jugular as we say he just as he usually does he just goes in and, and just he sees this Pharisee's heart and he he makes the issue he makes the example in this story about how this Pharisee and other Pharisees I'm sure tithed and so we see uh, we see him tackle this this example of, of the cup and dish and I don't know about you but um, when I do my dishes I don't usually just wash, wash the outside of my cup anyone here do not go to this person's house if they do you will be sick. That may be why I got sick in India. Actually, that's a good point. Anyway, but generally speaking, you don't just wash the outside of the dish. You also wash the inside. It just makes sense. It's what you do to be clean. Um, and so, this example that Jesus says, he says to the Pharisee, "You're like you're like a cup or a dish. You're like a cup. You only wash your only your outside is clean, but you neglect to wash the inside." And he relates this washing of this cup. Um, to this Pharisee's life and how he is so careful uh, with how he ties and with his greetings in the marketplace and um, just with his outward behavior, what people see. And yet on the inside, Jesus calls him death. He calls him an unmarked grave that people don't even know it, but they're, they're walking over death. And we have to be really careful with this passage because Jesus is not saying that we should not give or tithe. Absolutely not. He's saying, he says um, in verse uh, 42, these things you should have done without neglecting the other. And so he's absolutely um, saying that this Pharisee uh, should give. That is a part of, um, of their practice. That is a part of our practice as followers of Jesus. Uh, and so we don't want to leave with that message this morning. Um, but what he is saying is that your giving should come uh, from within. And that's, I believe, in verse uh, 41. He says, but give to charity what is within, and then everything is clean for you. Another version, uh, the ESV would say it this way, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And then Eugene Peterson in the message uh, interprets it this way, turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to the poor. Then your lives will be clean, not just your dishes In your hands. And so Jesus is looking at at the motives of the Pharisee in this. He's looking at the heart of the Pharisee. And interesting, the Pharisee actually is a really good tither because we read that he tithes from his herb garden. And yes, I'm from a place called Porcupine, and so I say herb. You may say herb. I'm sorry if I offend you. That's just how it's going to be this morning it's herb. Um, And so Jesus is saying, You even tithe from your herb garden. I mean, the smallest amount of produce in your life, and you're tithing from that, that's great. If that's, if that's what you want to do, that's great. But don't neglect the other thing. Jesus is looking uh, right into his heart. And the Pharisees, um, when hearing about their tithe, they would know the scriptures very well. They would know exactly uh, why they tithed and, and where it came from in the scriptures. Um, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of those, those Old Testament books, they, they address the tithe and the importance of it. Um, they, would, uh, they would know that their tithe would have then, back in the Israelite day and, and, and this day as well, it would go to things like supporting the, the priests who didn't receive an inheritance from God when the land was distributed hundreds of years before this. Uh, they would know that their tithe would go to the, the feasts and festivals that they put on every year. They put on tons of festivals. They were always partying. And part of their tithe, part of their giving would go to that. They would also know that their tithe would go to the poor would go to the orphan and the widow and the foreigner who lived among them. And so the tithe was a very important part of the, the um, Israelite society, and, um, and then even moving forward to, to this day and age. Um, it was very, very practical. It was very functional. And it's practical today too, right? We all hopefully um, uh, give some kind of tithe. And that goes to keeping the lights on and paying our pastor. And get go, it goes to the poor. It goes to missions. And so the tithe continues to be a very, very practical and necessary um, part of how we function. But they would also know a story from Deuteronomy 26. When the Israelites went to the Promised Land, um, and they set up their, their whole society there in this new land, they were to bring their tithe to the priest. And when they got to the priest... They didn't just drop it off, or if the priest passed around a communion bag or whatever, I don't know how they did it, but when they, when they gave their tithe over to the priest, they would say this. This is from Deuteronomy 26, 5 to 10. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and lived there. There he became a great, powerful, and populous nation, but the Egyptians mistreated and afflicted us. And forced us to do hard labor. Notice how he starts off by saying my father and then it goes into an us. It becomes very personal. So we called out to Yahweh, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. With terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land a land flowing with milk and honey. I have now brought the first of the land's produce to you, or that you, Lord, have given me. So as they gave their tithe, as they gave their gifts, they were to remember their own redemption story. Do you guys ever do that? When you, when you I don't know, go online or write your check? Do you sit and, and kind of recite in your mind all that God has done in your life? I don't, I don't really do that. Maybe I've done it. Okay, a hundred times, but whatever. Don't. Um, but yeah, I don't really do that. I don't really consciously just go through uh, my, my own story. But here they were told to do that. They were told every time they tied to remember where they came from, to remember that they were once slaves. They had nothing. They didn't have their own land. Everything that they earned went to Pharaoh. They had to work seven days a week, long hours. I mean, they had nothing. And they cried out to, to God, to Yahweh, and he heard them, and he came and he rescued them. And from that point on, um, he became their people. And by becoming their people, he began to to lead them out of that slavery and into this promised land. And so the function of their tithe, um, as necessary as it was, it wasn't the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose was to show them their own redemption, their own need for redemption, their slavery. Um, But it was also to show them God's heart. And, and we see um, time and time again in, in the Old Testament, especially if we look at the laws of God, whether it's the tithe or Sabbath um, or the, uh, the other laws that are in there, um, we see God's heart. And God shows us his, his heart and his character through his law. And we, and we discover who he is, and then we are able to apply that to our own heart. Well, 800 or 900 years after this, um, you may be familiar with their story. They're back in, uh, in slavery they're exiled to Babylon, and God again in his faithfulness is, is bringing his people back um, to the land that he promised them And here we have um, the prophet Ezekiel and and uh, yeah it's, it's a crazy book if you've read it um, but uh, it's just it's so amazing and through this prophet how God speaks to his people, speaks to the heart of his people again. And this is from Ezekiel 36. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances." Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I found the the order of this passage interesting because first God wants to give his people a new heart and a new spirit. And then they are to follow uh, the ordinances and and the statutes. Then they're able to, actually. Before that, they're not actually able to follow. And that, um, again, is is perhaps the point that Jesus is making. Six hundred years later, when he's sitting with the Pharisees and saying, you do all these things on the outside. The outside of your cup is clean, but the inside of your cup is so dirty. And Jesus' heart is to give them a new heart, to transform them, so that out of of that heart um, flows their gifts and their giving. Well, at this point, we're going to... um, Try to make this practical to us because we're not at the we're not Pharisees. Hopefully, none of us are. Anyone? Dan? Oh, Dan's gone. Dan is. Um, but otherwise, um, how, how does this apply to us? And what, what does this have to do with poverty? What in the world am I getting at? I I I'm sure you know what I'm getting at. This isn't rocket science. Um, but I, I really wanted to challenge us today to to make this this idea of Jesus wanting to To clean the inside of our cup before we look at the outside. um, To to dig into our hearts this morning and and allow allow him into those places. Because um, the truth is, um, we all have poverty in our lives. And um, we need to make poverty personal before we really have something to give um, anyone else. Something that's lasting. And, again, I'll show you this picture if it's up there. I asked I asked you guys, who's poor in this picture? And the answer is all of us. We're all poor. I, I told you the needs of Shivani and Raju already. Poor little kids. Um, but this picture was actually taken about four months into my, my trip in India when I moved there a couple years ago now, um, or a year and a half ago. And um, in this picture, my I'm smiling. I've, I'm looking pretty happy. Um... But the, but the truth is, is that I'm four months into insomnia in this picture. I haven't slept in four months. I am exhausted. And uh, I'm battling depression in this picture. And you can't tell, but that's, uh, that's my reality here. And I'm struggling. I am struggling with life in India. And so I wanted to get super honest with you guys this morning um, and, and, and share with you a bit of my journey in, in my own poverty and how God has met me there. And how I just so believe that as we, um, as we let God into our poverty, and as we let each other into our poverty, um, that these alms that Jesus is talking about, these alms that we give from our heart, um, they actually are the things that make a difference in this world and, and bring the kingdom. So I wanted to read you something that I wrote a few months ago. So if you are tired this morning and you've been closing your eyes during the sermon hoping that I didn't see um, that's okay now is your chance to close your eyes I just want to read you a story so if you're not the kind that closes your eyes with stories that's totally fine too but just sit back take in the story this is a bit of a story of, of my journey this past year especially um, and just let, let this soak in not for the sake of, of even um, what it, let it soak into your heart and relate it to your own story When I moved to India, I realized I wasn't very good at coping with brokenness. Every day when I would walk out my door, I would see it and hear it and touch it all around me. Every nation and every culture has brokenness, don't get me wrong. But India is the kind of place that doesn't try to cover it up. It can't. There are far too many people with far too many problems to even try. And so there it is before you. Disease, sickness, depression, sorrow, suffering, poverty, hopelessness, and death all mixed in with economic development and the worship of thousands of gods promising lies and beautiful colors and languages and people. Brokenness clothes itself in people. In the heat of the day, it wraps itself tight around them, so tight they choke from its hold and sweat from its many layers, gasping for breath and relief. But there is no relief. The rulers and authorities in India whip the backs of their people into perfect submission. There is darkness everywhere. I remember on more than one occasion when I was walking the streets of New Delhi, I would look around in horror and silently pray, God, where are you? So much poverty, so much brokenness, so much darkness. I couldn't reconcile all this with God's presence. There were days when I concluded that God was simply not there. How could he be? It seemed impossible to find his presence. He was moving in the world and in people, but somehow he must have forgotten India. There was no proof of his existence. His goodness and power and redemptive work could not be seen. It was just too dark. And this realization shook my faith because I'd always been taught that God was everywhere and that God loved all people. But these people? They were forgotten or perhaps even abandoned. They were being ravaged by the enemy and left to die alone. In some places and people, there was no light at all. At the end of the book of Job, Job makes a profound statement. I had heard rumors about you, but now I have seen you with my eyes. Here was a man who had experienced firsthand a God who gives and takes away, but, but who in all his sorrow and loss would not turn his back on God. Near the end of his story, before God restores to Job all that was taken, Job in his rags and poverty encounters, perhaps for the first time, his creator. I guess sometimes life gets in the way of vision. All his life he had heard about God and had second hand experiences of him and of his provision, but finally, with everything but his wife taken from him, he saw God. When you see God the way that Job saw him, you need nothing else. Dare I say you want nothing else. I must confess, when it came to darkness and despair, I didn't ever believe it truly existed. I mean, I've seen movies and read books and whatnot, but darkness is not something you can read about and then understand. I guess in my life I just believed that God wouldn't let it get that far. I didn't think too much about it either, because after all, I was a person of faith. And I was trusting and obeying and walking in the Spirit. And so even if it seemed dark, it really wasn't. At least not for long. Storms come, but Jesus is always there to calm them. Right? These were my rumors of God. I left India broken. Six months of insomnia slowly, chipped away at my edges until my core cracked open. I moved back to Vancouver where I, thought, where I thought I would begin to heal, but instead I got worse. Despite sleeping pills and antidepressants, I continued to break. There were certainly signs of improvement at times, but overall I sunk deep into depression, drowning in lost hopes and dreams, overcome with sorrow and grief and confusion and fear. It would be my undoing. And there I sat day after day, and began to face what I feared the most, my own darkness. I feared it because I didn't really believe that I would or could find God in it, just like I couldn't find him in India's darkness. There were places in my heart I had not yet explored, places I had not yet let God into mine. To be honest, I didn't even know they existed. But when all else was removed from me, I finally had a chance to just sit with my heart and my God and weep. And then eventually I came to places in this journey that were so desolate and dark that I could no longer even find God in them. All I heard was whispers of despair and all I saw was hopelessness. Will I ever get out alive? Will I ever be healed? Am I too far gone? I waited and waited, but God did not come. Has God abandoned me? Has God forgotten me? Has God left me to be ravaged too? And finally, the question that I asked in the darkness of India, I screamed out in the darkness of my own heart. God, where are you? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, and darkness and light are alike to you. It's from Psalm 139. He was there. Though I didn't see him at at the time or feel him or hear him, he was there. How do I know? Because at the end of myself, when I made my bed in hell and no longer believed there was any hope left, I collapsed unconscious in his arms. He met me there in my darkness and lifted me out. Even in the pit of despair, even in the darkest night or soul or nation, God is doing a new thing. You may not see it with your eyes, But if you stop and let him into your own darkness, even the deepest, ugliest parts of who you are, you will know that it's true beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is always hope. And if you let him in, he will bring you back to life. And you, like Job, will no longer think you know God because of rumors you heard about him. But you will know him because you have seen him with the eyes of your soul, and you have watched him resurrect you. And that is how I know God is in India. or your neighbor's poverty, and our country's poverty, and India's poverty, and the world's poverty. And if we never allow God to enter our poverty, then how can we ever know hope? How can we ever know his riches that he just waits to give us in his time? And if we never know his riches, then what do we have to give to each other? What do we have to give to this world? A tithe of our mint? A million-dollar check? These are all helpful things, wonderful things. They make a difference. But Jesus didn't just come to, to help the world. He came to transform it. And we're the church. That's our job, to be his hands and feet. Um, but first, we have to, to let him in uh, to our own poverty. And, and did he do it for me? For my own sake? Absolutely. Revelation, God loves me. A lot. A lot. But also he did it for, for your sake and for this world's sake because he loves you a lot. He, he loves this world so passionately. And so he, he reaches down to us. He crashes through and he redeems us. For our own sake and for the sake of others. Paul says that in Second Corinthians that he comforts us in our affliction so that we may be be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So what do we give? We we can give our money. That's that's great. Um, But we give from our heart. We give ourselves. We give our presence to people. Because our presence, if if you know Jesus today, if you've been renewed by him and given that new heart and that spirit that, that Ezekiel talks about, if that's been put in you, then you have the Spirit of God in you, and that is what we give each other. We give each other God's Spirit. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's good news. That's what we give. And these alms that we're, that we're told to give, but going back to, to Luke 11, these alms from our heart, they're, they're alms that impact eternity. They bring transformation to our world. They, uh, they bring the kingdom of God here. And they say boldly, come, Lord Jesus. Come, restore. Restore your world. Restore your people. These alms that we give from our heart have God's spirit breathed into them. And so what does Jesus say about poverty? He says, look inside. Look inside first. Remember your Exodus. Remember how you were once a slave. Sit, sit there a while. Remember. And then remember how God has brought you out of that and journeyed you to, to the promised land. And we're not there yet. But, but we have the riches of Christ, the fullness of Christ. Christ. And I'm not saying that, that, that we're complete. Um, I preached to you this morning under the influence of antidepressants. I'm, I'm not there yet either. Um, we're, we're all we're all figuring this thing out. We're all grappling with what's poor in us and, and, and the riches of Christ that are a reality today as well. And so we wait for heaven for that completion. Um, but I do want to tell you that God always finds you in your poverty. Just like I read to you about my struggle with India and my own personal struggles with my own poverty, God found me and he lifted me out. And he's faithful and I guarantee you he will do it for you too and i know that many of you have stories of that beautiful stories Uh, share your story even if you're you're in the middle of a just a broken dark time your story is powerful i think even as we speak our stories out we are speaking faith because we're believing that it's not over that god is still doing something i have no idea what we don't have answers for each other all the time we don't understand all the time where, where we come from but if you 've grappled with your own poverty, you can sit with someone in a way that you never could before and, and and give them give them your hope, give each other your hope, give each other your faith, and like I said before, allow the spirit of God to move through you to each other. as we close today, I, I want to encourage you. Um, to not do what I do, which is I, I, I judge people so easily. And I look at someone, I look at Marco over there. He's all nicely dressed today, nice shirt on, his hair is perfect. And I think, Marco doesn't have a need. Like, look at that guy. He's just like GQ right there. Um, and I think, how could I ever, how, I don't have anything to give to Marco. He doesn't have any needs. I work in an old age home, rich senior citizens, they live on a cruise ship that doesn't go anywhere. That's what we call. That's what we call where we work, um, and I and I wrestle with that because I think a year ago I was working with these beautiful street kids, and now I'm working with rich people. Ugh! How like how dare I, you know? And God just really convicted me of it a few months ago because I, I was going in there thinking, oh, these people they just complain about their meals all the time, and at least they have three meals a day, and and and. God just really spoke to my heart and said, Steph, what is their need? What is their need? Everyone has a need. Everyone is poor. And so I just want to challenge you to, to look at each other, to look at our world, and, and don't just judge because of material things or, or if you're looking good or if you have a smile on your face. What, what is your need? And we, and we discover that through relationship. We discover that through relationship. Let's stop the professional distance that we have with our giving. Um, The the relationship isn't supposed to be between our gift and the the person who receives it. It's supposed to be between us and the person. And so let's let's build relationship with each other and give ourselves to each other. Give our love to each other. And it's going to surprise you uh, what you find and how God wants to use you. Here in this place and in this community... And, and throughout the world, it's endless, the possibilities. You may feel like you're poor this morning. Um, I know there's still poor places in my heart. Um, but Jericho Ridge, you are incredibly rich. And I'm not talking about because you have coffee in your hand or we have screens and chairs. You are rich if you know Jesus Christ. He has filled you uh, with his riches. And discover what those are. And then give them to each other. And give them to this world that so desperately needs, needs his riches, needs his redemption. So I'm going to call up the, the band guys um, to do their thing. And um, let's just pray and let's just ask God to, to speak. I don't know what he's speaking to you about this morning. It could be nothing that I've said. Um, it could be everything that I've said. I don't know. Let's just ask him to, to just move in our hearts and reveal Himself. So, yeah, Lord, we just come and we just humbly ask you, God, to um, to move in us this morning, to speak to us, to show us um, those places in our heart that are poor, and yet you so much want to to crash through and to bring us back to life, God. And we just we praise you for that this morning. We praise you. We all have a story of um, of knowing you in our brokenness, in our poverty and how you have just filled us, Lord, um, with who you are and with your riches. Lord, teach us. Show us how to love each other. Show us how to, to let you in, um, to give ourselves to you over and over again, and then to, from there, God, just to, um, to give that to other people and to this world that needs you. And Jesus, we do pray. We do pray that you would come, that you come today, um, that you would come to our world that is so in need of a Savior. We thank you for what you're doing, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.